0: Three, two, one. Welcome to Discover Energy Work. I am really excited uh, because I've got Jeffrey Rediger. Is Rediger, is that right? Yes, that's right. Rediger, that sounds very German. And I've got, uh, this is Discover Energy Work. I am Richard Wiggs and I am with a best-selling author of something, a book which i have like going, wow, did somebody actually write this book? This is fantastic. It's about (laughs) spontaneous healing. And I know Jeffrey. Jeffrey, uh, you're a Harvard trained uh, physician. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, right. Yes. You're a Harvard trained physician. And you've come at this, you know, in a way to, from a totally different angle to, to my initiation. My initiation was crazy initiation, you know, with this Taoist master that's uh, doing energy work in a language I don't understand. And people are going in sicknesses and coming out without them and zero medication. I'm going, my. My world is, doesn't work because I think they should be taking medication. Yeah, that's what I, I learned. Um, right. But it, this is not about me. I'm fascinated that you've written this book all about spontaneous healing. Can you introduce... I mean, is it possible to, to introduce yourself after my amazing introduction? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about. You know, why did the, some people get better and why do some people not get better? And we don't study that in medicine. And it's been shocking to me to realize, it, as a slow learner, actually, the medical model is brilliant in so many ways. There's so many things that if I was ill, I would absolutely see a, a Western trained allopathic physician. But Illness is also about healing a life. Illness is a message that something is out of whack in our lives and those are questions that we typically don't ask in Western medicine. And so I think it's just so important that we turn to the East where the mind and the deeper reaches of the soul or the authentic self have been areas of investigation for thousands of years. And there's a lot to learn there. And I believe we need both the East and the West brought together, so that
0: we can help ourselves and other people wake up to the dignity of who we really are jeffrey i've got a question i i i'm interested in because like i'm imagining what you're saying it's you know certainly not it could make you quite unpopular in certain circles yeah (laughs) Uh, you, you don't become people's best friend by saying this necessarily so i'm fascinated um it's obviously, you know, it's conviction and an inner integrity, but what was your journey? At what point did you go, you know, is there a story behind it? At what point did you suddenly go, wow, we yeah. to look at this totally differently?
1: Well, I think there's several different ways to talk about it. I grew up as a confused, angry kid who needed to figure out what was true. I come from an Amish background, and so I grew up in the United States on a farm in rural Indiana, uh, but was going to school during the day and coming home to a world that was very different than the world that my peers were growing up in. So, a wow. lot less access to TV, uh, to radio, to music, uh, even store-bought clothes. Sometimes there was some real advantages to growing up on the farm, being so close to nature. Um, mm-hmm and working, you know, spending much of my time in the woods or on the farm, uh, tilling soil and, and all those kinds of things were, were wonderful. But the world I was growing up in was very restrictive and I struggled with it. And it was a violent home as well that, that really uh, also drove my uh, confusion. So I ended up leaving all that and going to college. College was a very eye-opening experience for me.
0: Wait a minute. You had to, as far as I understand, Amish for some people, this is where people in communities live uh, like a very Christian, very religious life. And they're they're living with with sometimes their various degrees of it, but they're they're living without electricity sometimes. Um, Everything is like 400 years ago.
1: Well, I grew up with electricity. We left the Amish community when I was two years old. And there's a lot that I don't know, because I don't understand some of the stories that are told. And I'm sure there's lots of stories I'll never fully be told. But right. my father, uh, my, my grandfather was a blacksmith for the Amish. Um, my father at some point left the Amish And I don't know when, honestly, it's, it's hard to figure out all these details because at some point he ended up in the Navy and I don't know how that happened because Amish Mm. are pacifists. Right. Exactly. Right. And so there's clearly things that happened that I don't know about or understand, but we left the Amish community formally when I was two years old, moved to a farm about 30 miles away. And I grew up with tractors and cars and that sort of thing. But there was a lot of suspicion about the world. Um, the Bible was thought to be sufficient for all knowledge. And so mm-hmm. school, um, I, I went to public school, but there was a lot of suspicion about what I was learning and especially about science, which was thought to be about evolution and the tool of mm-hmm. the devil. And, and so I was a confused kid about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we didn't grow up, I did not grow up in the Amish community, but grew up uh, with an internal world that had not fully left that. Right. Uh,
0: You've got to like two worlds kind of, yes, each other.
1: Yeah. And, and those worlds were very contradictory in many ways. Oh wow. And so I Isn't left that similar all that to what
0: I was experiencing then when I was like with this energy master in this Taoist master in Chengdu. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I was totally confused. I totally I'm totally right, relate to your story. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's very
1: similar because I think worldviews answer every question from within their, that worldview. And if you right. move to another worldview, it also answers every question from within that worldview. And it's very difficult for worldviews to genuinely dialogue because of that at a deep level. It's, it's very hard to leave one worldview it Mm -hmm. is my experience it is yeah so i went to college and my world began to be opened up and i became more confused (laughs) so i then went to seminary at princeton i was going to stay for one year and get a um, some study in theology and then uh, go to graduate school and get a phd in psychology and religion but I had a wonderful mentor and it's a long story, but I stayed for three years and got the Master of Divinity at Princeton. And then, and then w- became convinced through my study of theology and philosophy of science that science is a great gift
0: to the world. I'm with you. I'm totally <laughs> with you. I am seriously. People don't think it. I've done all this energy work, and they go, "Science is great. You shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater." Just absolutely energy work.
1: It, yeah, and and it's a big topic, and it doesn't mean there's not problems and issues, and right. and we need better science, especially when industry gets involved. But right. Um, right. Right. but it, but it's still true, and so I am. I went to medical school from there, and. You know, I I mean, the funny little story that had a big impact on me. I went back to Indiana uh, one weekend while I was at Princeton, and my best friend's mom at church asked what I was going to do with all that education, and uh, I said, I'm going to be a professor, and she said, you're going to get all that education and not do something to help people? (laughs) So... (laughs) So, you know, there's that rural anti-school perspective. (laughs) And so so finally, the upshot is that I, when I said that I was gonna go to medical school, everybody understood that, that made sense. People could understand medical school. It seemed like something helpful and it reconciled some inner contradiction within myself. I could do something practical. And yet also in the back of my mind, know that that would still give me the freedom to pursue ideas. So I did that. I finished residency in psychiatry uh, years later after medical school and then um, at Harvard and then took my position where I currently am as medical director at um, a branch of McLean Hospital and um, and professor um, at Harvard Medical School. And then that, that was 18 years ago, and since then I've been collecting medical evidence for people who have recovered from incurable medical illnesses. And it's been a life-changing personal and professional journey to realize that people get better, right. even when they're not supposed to be, get better. And it's I've been a slow learner, but it has slowly just transformed everything that I ever thought I knew
0: about how people heal and what's possible to heal I was saying just before we started like I've been saying this for years we had a we had a friend um, who was told by the doctor you're going to you you you're gonna die in 10 years you've got um, kidney cysts they're progressing. Right. Um, it's incurable at that time we didn't know about stem cells again this is the this is sciences world which is one right it, 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 is. it is the study of everything it's not I know everything science is a study yeah so anyway <laughs> so anyway we don't know about stem cells she goes and sees this lady called Betty shine yeah and Betty in two sessions and it's in Betty's book Betty's now dead yeah mm. um, and she, she it completely disappeared. The doctor said, I've heard of it, but this doesn't happen. This is not possible. You know, wonderful. But, yeah. And this was somebody, you know, you you probably know the sickness. If you've got uh, cysts in the kidney, uh, you know, the, the cysts, the kidneys, they use 18% of the body's oxygen because they do so much work. Right. And, you know, you're exhausted, yeah, you're absolutely exhausted all the time. Your blood is dirty. You, you, you're just struggling the whole time. And she was a what well, woman, full of life. She was just fantastic. She was full of beans after that. And it was like, yeah, like, <laughs> how, how does this happen? And you know yeah. what the reaction was of everyone was like, shh, don't tell anyone. This is this is too weird. This this is the whole. It's like our reality is going to fall to pieces if we know that. You know, this is possible. Yeah. um, Yeah, you must, I guess you must, to a certain extent, be meeting certain resistances all the time.
1: Yes, but I think the world is changing. I think as the West becomes more familiar with the uh, worldviews of the East, for example, um, that's modifying how we think. uh, Quantum physics advances in neuroscience all these things are modifying at a really deep, even unconscious level, the way we think about these kinds of things and the relationship between mind and body. The West is brilliant at elucidating the physical laws of the universe. That's what the West is good at. That's what Isaac Newton and Rene Descartes helped open in the West. And mm-hmm. and because of the West, you know, we've got uh, airplanes that fly, we've got warm showers, we've got... Um, the internet and smartphones and lots of great physical um, understanding and comforts but mapping the deeper reaches of the mind which are even more powerful That's something the West has not done, and that's what the East has been doing for thousands of years. And there's a lot to learn there, because you're right, spontaneous remission does occur. The word spontaneous means without cause. If you are on the scientific side of these dramatic healings, you call this spontaneous remission, and in medical school you're taught that these are flukes with no medical or scientific value. If you're on the spiritual or religious side, these are called miracles or spiritual healing. any case, all of these terms are just black boxes and have not been unpacked with the tools of science. Now, the word spontaneous means without cause. Now, what could be a less scientific word than to say or assume that these have no cause? Everything has a cause. <laughs> so.
0: well, exactly. I was I was going to jump in there and say like, isn't that the perfect thing for science, which gets answers to study the exactly. unknown? It's, it's like, wow, right it's the best.
1: <laughs> right. And so spontaneous emission does occur. It does have causes that we should be investigating. And it also occurs a lot more than we think it does. I went back and it said that spontaneous emission in these scientific articles occurs one in 100,000 cases. Well, I went back to trace that through. And it turns out that someone 60 years ago or more, I think it's actually been more than 60 years at this point, just put that into a scientific article, made it up out of the blue. And then that has been repeated in scientific article after article for decades with no scientific basis. And it turns out that this occurs a lot more than we realize. Doctors don't write it up because they're afraid of ridicule by their peers. They also don't believe in it. So they're not curious about it. It's it's
0: astonishing phenomenon. It, it, you know what? I've got to say, I feel like you're new to uh, your Isaac Newton, who's you're sitting under the tree, an apple falls on your head, and he says, "Well, I know apples fall on the head, but but you know, there's no reason they just fall. Like, what is it that ha- makes this happen? Yeah, and people, everyone, goes, no, no, don't ask the don't ask the question about the apples. Yeah? <laughs> you know? and you're going, wait a minute, something something is making people spontaneous spontaneously heal we should research it um my research has been really from the spiritual side it's really been the energy side and even the energy side is it really it's a spectrum so you've got like people that are putting hands on and then there's people that will just sit um and uh i mean my also my research has led me my personal research has led me to the uh, remote viewers i don't know you know about the military remote i've don't. heard of that um, yeah, so I was trained by one of the unit and, and then i would interviewed a few people that were in that military unit. And, you know, just research fascinating documents, um, you know, from from these people. And you know what they said uh, about uh, PK, because we don't know whether um, some of the energy healing is coming from psychokinesis, the mind moving things, or oh. it's actually uh, precognition that we know something is going to happen and, and we, we think we just say, oh yeah, that's going to happen. I caused it, but actually it was going to happen anyway. It's, it's kind of a tough one.
1: Well, you know, I think it's just great that we're asking these questions because to be human is to begin realizing that our paradigms and our worldviews often don't capture the mystery and the possibilities of what does happen and we need good science to walk into these areas and begin to document spontaneous remission we need good science just because a person says that they are healed doesn't mean that they were so we need medical evidence that really looks at that but i'm and not every case that comes my way has medical evidence to support a genuine spontaneous remission or spiritual healing but there are cases that cannot be explained by our western paradigms or models so medical is really important but things do occur i you know what i cannot give a talk i've not yet given a talk where someone does not come up to me afterwards and say you need to talk to this patient or you need to talk to my aunt or you need to talk to this relative about their spontaneous remission. and i'm telling you this is not a rare thing these things do occur but they are not investigated by science and we just don't have a curiosity about them. So we
0: dismiss them. Right, you remind me of Raymond Moody. You know Raymond Moody, oh, the, right. uh, the near-death near death experience. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was considered a, a men, kind of a mental illness if you thought you had a near-death experience. And right. he was, uh, he had a philosophy degree before he became a, a similar, a little bit similar to you. Oh, no, interesting. Before became um, a, a psychiatrist. And then he did the research and he said, okay, this is a real thing, you know, there is enough evidence and it's now in the DSM. It's not, you're not mentally ill. If you have an Ill right. experience, we know it happens. It is a thing. <laughs> and right. uh, so, yeah, in fact, my my um, research paper for my bachelor's in psychology was uh, was asking the question, we don't actually have a working definition for the self. We, we don't. We don't know what the self is because, you um, there's too much evidence to suggest that the self that we think is is not. Yeah, um, that's
1: fascinating.
0: Yes. Well, that exactly. And then you go once you get into the realm of uh, that interpersonalness and then healing. You're into well, you know, what is going on?
1: Oh yeah, no, you're touching on a really critical issue. You know, I I've seen now after 18 years of investigating these stories that have medical evidence for recovery from illnesses that in the west we consider incurable you start to see patterns that occur over and over and over across many different illnesses and yes people change their nutrition that's a big topic to talk about yes they heal their immune system big topic to talk about especially in the time of COVID. they heal their stress response big topic but at the deepest level there are some people that don't do the the other things but they they heal their beliefs. They heal the false beliefs that have comprised their life, and that's that's a massive issue. Yeah. What I've begun to realize is that we all grow up with the true and false beliefs. We inherit these beliefs from our parents, from the interpretations we make, from different kinds of traumas that we go through, whether it's physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, or or adverse experiences uh, with the divorce of parents, or or things that uh, interpretations that we make from interactions with kids on the playground, from the way we're treated by teachers and colleagues at work and supervisors, and all kinds of things. And so at the end of the day, we end up with a complex collection of beliefs that are some of which are true, some are false, some are conscious, some are unconscious. But for the most part, these beliefs are unexamined. Right. And what I see over and over again is that every person that I've studied who has medical evidence for these amazing recoveries, at the end of the day, they end up being so grateful for the illness because their healing brought them into such a different relationship with themselves. And they ended up with such a different experience of themselves and the world that we live in. And they, they saw their value and experienced their value in such a different way. So what, what I'm, so go ahead. Oh, no, no. I do continue. So, so what I'm starting to realize is that we all go through our lives and it's just easier to believe the bad stuff. It's easier to believe that maybe we're not good enough. It's mm. easier to believe that maybe we're defective or dirty in some way or just not good enough. Mm. And that's easy to become... Our default mode, or some quiet little conversation that circulates in our brains over and over as we go through our days. And it's that that really wears the self down, I think, over time. Hmm. I have a friend, Gabor Mate. He's a physician in British Columbia and he has written this brilliant book called When the Body Says No. Right.
0: And he's and, quite, and think, quite well, quite renowned in the in, in yes. area of the body work and everything. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he, he, and he just is so brilliant in the way he shows how the body keeps the score.
0: The body. That's his tells- book's book name. I would like you, you, can you please plug your book instead of his book? As well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, but, he, and, and, and so I think when we begin to see differently, we start to realize that the body, when it gets ill, is sending us a message. And it's saying that something is out of whack in our lives, either at the level of our
0: immune system, our stress response, our nutrition, or our beliefs. It was so fascinating. Back then, when I was in the uh, Taoist teacher's clinic, he would have people coming in. It, it got the local nickname as being the bus stop before the crematorium, where you could get off. Yeah. So if, you're, if you had a very serious illness. And the people would go there. And he would transfer energy to them. so And they would do something of actually just relaxing. And then from them would come spontaneous like shakings and movements, yeah? Sometimes emotions, they, but they said they didn't feel like uh, they were, so if they were crying, they felt like their body was crying, but they were okay. Yeah. yeah. And they had all of these really unusual experiences. And uh, various things that happen in in the um, in that kind of um, Taoist belief system is where there's energy. They start to be able to feel the energy inside their body. They can feel where there's a problem. Um, so they get this uh, in. Well, I think we call it interception. So they're actually feeling or uh, actually f- the perception in, inside. So intra-ception. Uh and, phenomenal experiences then when they start to actually, uh, some of them start to have uh, more spiritual experiences from there. But, but like Kubler-Ross, so I, you, you must have heard of Elizabeth Kubler- mm-hmm. Kubler-Ross, sure. um, that whole thing of you're faced with death, and now what's really important?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that when a person is given a, a life-threatening diagnosis and told that you have six months or 12 months to live or whatever, 10 years, as the case you mentioned, um, that, that brings us up short and causes us to see what's most real. And what, you know what's shocking? What's shocking to me is a person can receive a diagnosis like that, but it's surprising how often at another level, a person's maybe, uh, yes, frightened at one level, terrified. But another level, a person can have a very different response. It's like, oh, if I've only got 12 months to live, I guess I don't have to go to, I don't have to take over the family business just because dad's putting pressure on me to do so. Mm -hmm. Or I don't have to be taking care of everyone else in my life. I finally have permission to finally take care of myself. And that death, that can be a death that death of the false self, that death death of the masks that we wear as we go through our lives, that paradoxically sometimes ends up being the doorway into a more authentic self or a person's living based upon what really feeds and nourishes them at a deeper level. And then it's surprising that sometimes that seems to be the doorway into getting better. And that's a shocking statement, but it's true.
0: I, I can't uh, underline it more. I, what I've found, uh, I have the same thing when people, um, I say I'm teaching somebody energy and they, they start yeah. to perceive energy. Even perceiving something new is like a death. So I think interestingly yes. you left the farm and went into this world it, it is like a death it's like yes. and going into a confusing world like well if that's like that then everything's different um and, and that can be um it can be a little bit uh, frightening and overwhelming but there is a map yeah we get yes. we get say okay guys like in the shamanic healing um you know there's the, sh- yes. the shaman has a death like you 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 don't have a choice, your world is different. And in, in my case, um, when my I had this uh, story, which I, I've told my listeners probably more than once, but, but my daughter committed suicide about six or seven years ago. And That's then safe. I said, okay, I need to come out with this energy work. I, need, I never stood up for it. I never explained to my daughter. We yes. are a continuum. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, we are, we are not, uh, well, I don't even know if we're a continuum, but certainly, there is no quick way out of here. Yeah. Um, yes. so well, uh, I could have explained that, but I was like, well, you know, i I want her to find out on her own and, you know, well, what, what is the use of knowledge if it's not there to be shared, you know? Um, and I'm not, I'm not evangelizing. I just want people to not feel they're crazy. You know what I mean? So they can, yes. Out.
1: Oh, you're so right. And in often what we call crazy is just not what we think it is. It's, Person that just needs help waking up to a truer experience of who they really are and to find a safe way to be that and to heal the trauma many times. You know, you raise the question about what the self is, and that's a really, you know, you ask really good questions. I have come to believe that we're the self, the authentic self, is not the masks that we wear. When I walk into the hospital, I wear the mask of being a physician or a professor. Patients assume the mask of a patient when they speak with me. But the truth is, we're not just those things. All of us are also, we wear the masks of being uh, sons and daughters and lovers and friends and um, parents. And those are also masks. I think our illnesses also are masks. They are part of who we are, but they're not all of who we are. Masks reveal and conceal the deeper, more authentic self. I think the authentic self actually is something that we can better understand by turning to the ancient writings in the East, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, the East talks about Maya, the illusion of the false self versus the deeper true self, the perfect, immortal, indestructible soul or true authentic self, who we all are. And that's not our masks.
0: I think um, I think there's a natural charge of energy which naturally wants to discharge, and it's like I like the story of the prodigal son. So mm. um, we are going home. Yeah, we are all going home, and right. we can fight a little bit, and we can t- say this is the way they have fun, and this is you know this is what they need to do. But essentially, we we're going to need to. Discharge and go home. So the the Taoist um, uh, is like maybe the listening to God, the, or the, the the standing in in standing and doing nothing. You might say, but it if I, it's a nature's nothing. If I look outside and I see nature, the wind's blowing and there's sun in the sky and you know birdsing. That's nature, and our nature is not a dead stillness. Our nature is. And we just have to, okay, drop the charge. Yeah. Okay, just drop the charge. Yeah. Done. drop and, the charge. And that is a death because that's we return to the source. So we've got that double death. Yes. Wow, isn't that interesting? You brought that up. You know, that's a great
1: story to bring up. You know, these, these transitions were the death of the false self in order to make room for the birth of the more authentic self. That's messy. That sometimes means the end of relationships, It means the ending of careers. It can be going through a difficult time financially to transition to a more authentic way of being in the world. I don't want to pretend that these transitions to a different worldview or a different experience of the dignity and value of who one is. Wow. And the letting go of relationships that don't know how to honor that, that's, that can be messy and painful in its own right. And people need help navigating that path and seeing, so they don't get sucked back into the old world view and the old way of doing things, which wasn't right for them.
0: You know, you've got a really fascinating um, take on it. And, and I'm seeing I'm seeing that you're straggling almost two things. One is the scientific study of, you know, what is spontaneous remission? And then like, okay, Guys, we're scientists. If we could put this in pill form, we will. Yeah. And yeah. And um, you know, by the way, okay, it looks like this is a common thing. So one is like, you know, try to connect with the authentic you. Yeah. And and then how do you do that? And then you're looking at, okay, well, there's I actually was thinking when you were talking, I was thinking of Joseph Campbell and, and all his wonderful stories of of how different cultures have that the hero's journey where you go down a path. Uh, I think he was talking about Arthur, the story comes of Arthur and the round table, and they had to go on a, a quest, but they were not allowed to go in the forest where there was a path. So they had to make their own path. So it's your individual, unique path that you have to find. Um, yes.
1: And yes. waking up to the value and the goodness of who you are and eliminating the false beliefs that prevent each of us from experiencing that dignity and sacredness of that true, perfect, whole, and complete self underneath all appearances. I mean, that's an amazing journey. The prodigal son is a hero's journey that fits the archetype of Joseph Campbell's work. The party that was made for the prodigal son who returned after the profligate spending of all of his inheritance and all the mistakes that he made but he went on a search for what is truth and his brother was upset because he'd done all the shoulds. He'd done all the right things, but he'd never gone on a journey and he never made all these truth producing errors that looked like mistakes at one level. Because, so he never got in touch with the truth of who he really was. Right. So
0: it's yeah. the journey and making the mistakes in order to truly wake up to who we are. That is so important. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the part that gets forgotten of the story. It's like, it was the brother, he gets all upset. It's like, why? Well, you know what? I was here all the time. I've been with you all the time. And it's like, yeah, but you need to make the journey. Son. Yes. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. Getting lost. Yeah. You know, Buddha said, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think I connect very well with the Christian religion because of my background and, and the philosophy. Uh, although I, I very much more uh, revolve Revolve myself around the doctrine of Jesus than uh, Paul or, or so on, um, and um, but Buddha said when you lose yourself you find yourself and when you find yourself you lose yourself and there therein you have the answer. So it's between that it's the middle way it's between that.
1: Yeah, and taking the risks to die to the world that is really composed of more fear than allows us to access the deep love that's possible within all of us. That's, that's, that's what you're doing.
0: That's what you are doing. You are, you're, you're, you're you've died a certain amount of a, died a certain amount of death and now you're plumbing it for this, this knowledge and um, for everybody. So it's, that's really wonderful. That's really amazing. Um, I, uh, if people are going to read, read your book, what are they going to find? Can you
1: sort of... So I go through Cured and talk about these these stories. I, I try to go through and use stories and then turn to science to say, what is science able to tell us about this? But, I, but the criteria was that I followed for these stories was very rigorous. The person had to have, number one, a genuinely incurable illness for me to be willing to study their story. They needed to have medical evidence for accurate diagnosis and clear evidence for recovery. And there had to be no other complicating factors that could potentially explain how they got better, whether that's an experimental medication or anything else. So so it took a lot of time to go into these stories and deep into these individuals' lives in order to understand how they got better. But over time, I began to realize, you know, we study ultimate achievement in sports and business why don't we study it in health and well-being? I mean, these are the ultimate achievers of health and well-being. And if I was ill, yes, I mean, our scientific studies typically reduce everything around what's average, around the mean. And so we find out what the average person does. Well, yeah, if I was ill, I'd want to know what the average person does. But I'm telling you, the ones we screen out in our studies, the ultimate achievers, they're doing things really differently. And if I am just like a, a professional athlete, they do things really differently than the average person. And so if I was ill, I absolutely would want to know what the ultimate achievers in health and well-being are doing because it is really different what they're doing. And there's consistent patterns in their approach across so many illnesses.
0: We should be studying this. I, I totally agree. And I've got to say, um, interesting in my field, so the energy work, you talk to the people and they've had a catharsis. They've had something where they've gone Wow! I had this. I nearly died. I, I had these experiences. I realised the world is not the way it is. I have to reorder. I had to reorder my life. And da da da. And I, you know, I tell this story. It's a fascinating story. Uh, in the, um, I've forgotten a twenty um, lovely lady. Uh, she 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 was a policewoman, and she's she's in England. So she's a bobby. We call them Bobby, <laughs> And um, and she's. She's her, she's her daughter her, her son is born prematurely, and he won't um, get off the oxygen. so he's two years old and three years old and four, however old he was, and he wouldn't get off the oxygen. And the doctor's saying, we don't know you know he, yeah. it was obviously something to do with his lungs uh, development and and she'd had this telepathic communication that she does she teaches people tele communication with animals and she's talking to this horse across the other side of the states so she lives in the states in south carolina now and and the the horse says oh there's a medicine man that you should meet and she's like what and apparently i think it was Uh. Apache, apache medicine man so she phoned the owner and said do you does this make any sense apache medicine man and yeah so the long and the short of the story is um they meet they they, they they meet up with the medicine man, the medicine man says, yes, sort of I'm expecting you, you know, so yeah. I, maybe I'm making that up, but it's like the medicine man like says, yeah, yeah, absolutely no problem, come. The one day, and since then, from that day till today, no oxygen.
1: Wow, you know, science needs to understand these kinds of mysteries because we can document that stuff like this happens. So you're absolutely right. This is an, it's an unmapped wilderness that science has a responsibility to study.
0: I feel so much love here right now. I just really do because <laughs> I feel like, wow, man, a kindred spirit. The it as like, we aren't actually in competition with science. We're working, we should kind of be working with science, but it's like, we don't even know what's going on. Like, I'm an energy healer. I don't know what's going on. I know right. that I'll get this information and sometimes it comes all garbled, but I believe that over time I'm going to get better and better, which I have been. Uh, and I get I get results for people, obviously. Or they wouldn't be coming yeah. back. So, um, and and really this man, uh, this this Chinese man, Lu uh, Jinquan, uh, this Taoist master, is just a phenomenal um, teacher for me. And mm. um you know, he, he changed my life, totally changed my life. So, you know, and I think what you're going to do is you're going to be changing people's lives with what you're saying, actually, because you're saying, let's study the high performance healers.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we all have a job to do in this. I think that what's exciting is that we are at the end of an era of disease and medications. I think, I think that era was a step forward because it, it allowed early scientists 400 years ago or or whatever, to to take illness from the church and say you can't judge people for being ill. You can't say that their illness is a judgment from God. That was a progress, I think, and it also allowed these early scientists to create a taxonomy of disease, to create a classification system that distinguishes the signs and symptoms of one illness from the signs and symptoms of another we are at the end of that era and now we have a responsibility to open a new era where we actually study how people heal where we study what's possible when it comes to healing that's a very different set of questions than diagnosis and medication and so we are at the end of the era of diagnosis and medications and now we're just starting to study how people heal and it's a very exciting thing we are going to find that more Ill, more healing is possible than we thought. It turns out, when I went to medical school, we were taught that most things are genetic and gen- genes kind of determine most pathways in terms of what's possible. Well, now we know that epigenetics is a newer science in and that, in that genes are turned on and off by lifestyle, by choices we make, by the foods right. we put in the body. Right. And now we know that 85 to 90% of illnesses from which people are dying around the world, including all the major killers like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, autoimmune illness, lung disease, these are lifestyle illnesses. And we still treat them just with medications as if they're incurable. And medications can be life-saving, they can help you tread water, but they don't heal the underlying issue. And that's a big topic. But you don't have to just take medications your whole life in many situations. Most situations can be deeply modified, if not completely healed, when we begin to understand what these ultimate
0: achievers in health are doing. So that's, that's, that's the
1: task ahead of us.
0: Wow. I can't wait to talk to you again. Um, I, I, th- I feel like, you know, um, I, I've got to keep us in, inside our 45 minutes. We, ne- we, we could talk for hours, I know. Um,
1: It would be a lot of fun. You've got a great perspective.
0: Well, I just feel like, you know, it's like, brother! Um, (laughs) Even when I I saw your head, I went, oh, yeah, I'm I'm getting there. I've got a bit of catching up to do. (laughs) I'm I'm ahead of you. (laughs) You've got hair yet. I don't. (laughs) Mine slipped down here. Fantastic talking to you, Jeffrey. I really enjoyed it. I think everybody's going to find it. For me, uh, in all my podcasts, I think it's going to be one that sort of brings a whole new fresh breath of life uh, to a lot of people. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for
1: having me. The most important thing for all of us is to listen to the message of the illness and to begin doing the work so that we can give up the fear that maybe we're not good enough or there's something not good enough about who we are and experience the dignity and the value of who we are at the deepest level and to begin to find a path where we can celebrate the unique, unrepeatable gift that each one of us is in the world. And that can be healing at such a deep level. And sometimes it's astonishing what then becomes possible in the life.
0: You know, I just want to really, you know, from my heart to say, go out look at that book um about is it called the cure or cured cured Cured. look at the book because there's nothing like you know our conscious mind it needs things to be explained and when you get like well there are things in science in fact science is all about explaining the unknown Um, there are things which which we are right on the boundaries of learning so when you get that diagnosis that says you're going to be dead in a certain certain period of time yeah you don't have to look at it as a death, death sentence you right but see more you can see another horizon yes
1: ask what the message is because it may be that something needs to be healed in your life whether it's nutrition or yeah. your stress response or or some false beliefs about your value right. thank you sir